Hello there, welcome to Jubes and Curd, the podcast of my show on GB News. My name's Michelle Jubery, and you can catch me live every weekday evening from 6 till 7pm. But worry not, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Jubes and Curd. Hello, good evening to everyone at home. It's Friday and you know, we do something a little bit different on a Friday. We pick an issue and we get right to the heart of it. We don't shy away from difficult topics. Uh, We looked at immigration the other day, we've looked at the housing crisis and tonight we're getting a little bit more personal, so we are, and we're talking about us, our weight. What's going on with it? I can tell you the short version is it's not very good. Joining me to get into this, not, I've not picked them for their weights, by the way, so don't get uh, self-conscious and start breathing in gentlemen, but uh, my panel is Tam Fry, the chair of the National Obesity Forum, and Rob Lyons, who's the author of Panic on a Plate, How Society Develops an Eating Disorder. And you know the drill on Jubes and Curd, don't you? It's not just about us here. It's about you at home uh, as well. What's on your mind? When you think about this topic, uh, what do you think? Are you even outraged that I've got the audacity uh, to pick up and talk about obesity. Is it to you a subject that there's not a problem with? What are you even doing talking about it? Are you someone that perhaps once was obese and now you're not? Are you someone who is obese and guess what? Perfectly happy with it. I want all your thoughts on this situation tonight. You can email me as per usual on gbviews at gbnews.uk. You can tweet me at gbnews or at Michelle Jubes. And wherever you are watching and listening tonight, you're very, very welcome. So did you know, I have to say, I didn't realise this, but the UK is the second highest obesity rate in Europe, uh, second only to Hungary. Do you see the pun in there? I won't make a joke, but you get what I mean. Uh, The government's latest food strategy, they seem to have one every other day these days, and they don't seem to be working, given the fact that actually people do seem, on the whole, to be getting bigger. Anyway, their latest strategy was published in June, and it was criticised by their own advisor on food for not doing enough to tackle the crisis. So, before we get into it, let's have a little look at where we are and how we've got here. Over the last 50 years around the world, the number of people who are obese has almost tripled. Focusing on the UK, and around 63% of adults are now overweight, with a third of them obese. This means 35 million people are facing health risks. Obesity levels among primary school children are at the highest since records began. For year six pupils, that's children aged 10 and 11, obesity prevalence grew from 21% to over 25% in the year 2020 to 21. And for four to five-year-olds, obesity prevalence rose from almost 10% to nearly 14% in the same period. People who are obese are at risk from health conditions such as diabetes, heart and kidney disease, dementia and different types of cancer. They can also have mental health issues. Obesity already costs the NHS billions of pounds. In 2019 to 2020, there were more than 1 million hospital admissions linked to obesity in England. That's a 17% rise from the previous year. By 2050, the NHS is expected to spend at least £10 billion a year on obesity-related conditions. The medical definition of obesity is when there is an energy imbalance between calories consumed and calories expended. 
Some types of medication can cause weight gain, and genetics can also be a factor. But scientists believe having a predisposition doesn't have to lead to weight gain. Depending on age, adult men need approximately 2,500 calories a day, and for women, it's 2,000. But fresh and healthy food is unaffordable for some, the intake of cheaper, sugary, high-fat products leads to the consumption of so-called empty calories, which adds to weight gain. Environmental issues such as not having a safe space to walk or enough time or room to exercise can also contribute. High levels of stress and poor mental health also play a part. Many people report turning to food for emotional comfort. How to deal with the obesity epidemic is a huge challenge for society to face. Fascinating stuff, isn't it, really, when you sit and uh, think about it like that. Mike and Kev have been in touch already uh, and said, Michelle, don't worry about any of this because imminently people are going to be so poor they won't be able to afford to eat, so the obesity situation will be solved. Right, well, there you go. Better change the subject of the whole show then, uh, if that is indeed going to be the case. Something, though, tells me it's not. Uh, Tam, let me start with you on this. Uh, you're the chair of the National Obesity Forum. Mm -hmm. What's your view on where we are right now uh, with obesity in this country? Well, we're in a tragic situation. We have, and you've well explained in your piece there, we have millions of people who are either overweight and certainly many millions who are obese. And that has got huge implications for everybody, for the NHS, for production, for manufacture, for everything. Rob? I don't think we're in a tragic situation. I think that we've, we're in a generation of where we've got you know, free access to food, possibly for you know, the past two generations. We don't have to worry about eating food, although, as you said, you know... Um, Are you that... worried about when... So when you see some of the stats like that, you hear, yeah. uh, you know, things are getting worse, more people are becoming obese. Do you sit and feel concerned about that? Do you think that the people that are becoming obese that should be worried? Is it a national issue? Um, I don't... I don't from, but most of the <coughs> people that are, that are called obese... I mean, I'm well into the obese category. I don't worry particularly about my weight as a major health risk or anything. Um, don't you? So you're, if you don't, I mean, I'm picking up on what you've yeah, said. Yeah. So you're classed as obese yeah. and you don't mind. You don't worry for your health. Uh, I mean, I worry about it for other reasons, like I'd like my clothes to fit better or, you know, be more comfortable walking around or exercising or whatever, all sorts of, lots of other reasons. But not health. So you but don't worry about diabetes, no. you don't worry about putting strain on your organs, you don't worry about anything like that. Not particularly, no. I mean, I think that those, those things like heart disease and, and, and diabetes are quite common anyway as you get older. So I'm, I'm not particularly worried about them. Um, and I do, but I do think that there is a problem for a much smaller group of people who are very overweight, um, whose BMI is very high, and then it becomes disabling or it becomes much more difficult uh, to live your everyday life. And I think it would be great if we focused much more on those people and giving them solutions to that problem so that they um, could lead a, a fuller life. But by focusing so much more broadly, I think we're making a lot of people anxious that actually, for the most part, don't need to worry too much about their weight. They should, and if they're worried about their health, they should worry more about things like the kind of things that they eat or how much they exercise rather than the size of their waistline per se. See, I do actually find that fascinating because I think as a nation, 
we could do actually with worrying a little bit more about our health. The NHS is in an absolute dire situation. Many of the ailments that people rock up to the NHS with are self-inflicted. And I think actually a lot of people don't take enough care for themselves and be as considerate about themselves mm -hmm. uh, until it's too late. Because ultimately, we've only got one body. Mm -hmm. um, anyone that's uh, able-bodied, often people take it for granted. It's only when bits and pieces start kind of going wrong that you then go, oh, actually, maybe I need to do this or maybe right. I need to do that. So it's only once you've lost that kind of good health mm -hmm. that people start to worry. And actually, I'd like to people to worry earlier. Yeah. And, and Tam, one of the things that concerns me enormously, because to some extent, you know what, if you're an adult and you choose to be overweight or obese, to some extent, that's your business. It's children, the rise in children. I mean, we mentioned there, primary school kids obese, the highest number since records began. What's your view on that? Well, my view is very simple, is that we're already too late. Um, what we really need to do is to start worrying about children growing up from the age of two in a healthy way. And none of that has been addressed in the 30 years that I've been doing my job. What do you think to children in obese? Um, well, I mean, if you, they, 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 we've sort of seen the first uptake, uptick since the, the lockdown for quite a while. Actually, there was a big scare about this 15 or 16 years ago, uh, around the time of Jamie's school dinners and all that sort of stuff because there had been a rise uh, in child obesity, but actually it pretty much flatlined since then. Um, and, um, I, 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 and, and when you look at the measurement of, of child obesity and then compare it with how kids in the playground, you think not very many of these kids are really fat, but in the way that normal we would normally think. And it, does, it is clear that the, the measure of child obesity does seem to overstate it quite a lot. Um, so, for example, when you see people who are obese when they're 17 suddenly stop being obese when they're 18 because the, the measurement changes. Um, so, I'm, I, again, I'm not too worried about it. But, again, it's, a, a lot of it is down to things like exercise and what have you, which could help improve health generally, whether or not it makes much difference to people's waistlines. I'm very worried about your attitude. Uh, during the, the pandemic, obesity in children went up by 4%. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, 4% in two years is just astounding. Yeah. And the problem is that it's likely to continue. Mm -hmm. It's likely to continue because we're now in a crisis of uh, uh, cost of living, where more and more people are going to be reliant on less and less healthy food mm -hmm. in order to exist. And, and certainly the division between the affluent areas and the less affluent areas is expanding. We're going to have a whole half the population in, a, in, 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 in an obesity problem because they cannot afford to live and eat properly. Mm -hmm. Do you want to respond? No, no, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, when I look, because I was aware that I was covering this topic, so I just paid, I just opened my eyes a little bit. I was just paying more attention to random people in the street than I perhaps ordinarily would. I was just looking at people's physiques and all the rest of it, in particular children. And I did actually notice that there are an awful lot of children, when you just open your eyes and you glance around, that are bigger than what I think they ought to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm a parent myself. I've got a, a little uh, two-year-old. And I believe, as, the, as a parent, one of my jobs, not the only one, but a key component of my parenting responsibilities are to make my child um, eat as well as he possibly can, 
um, to make sure that he's uh, getting nutrients to the best uh, degree possible. You know, possible. I don't have lots and lots of time. I work full time. I'm quite time poor. Mm -hmm. um, but I see that as a core responsibility of mine as a parent. And when I see children, uh, particularly younger children, um, wandering around that are big, I think that those parents are failing those children. If it's a lifestyle issue, obviously I'm not, just to be absolutely clear, if, if a child has a medical issue, an illness is a, on medication, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about purely lifestyle situations. I think that as a parent, you fail your child. Um, and if it was a parent that was not feeding their child, if there was a, a child that was very skinny, very slim, um, because the parent simply wasn't feeding them, that would almost be akin to child abuse. And I wonder why the opposite is not focused on when it comes to you have a huge child and it's obvious it's because of lifestyle choices. Do you not think that should be taken more seriously? Well, well is it? Because uh, you say it's obvious it's because of lifestyle choices. But, for example, um, there was a case a few years ago of a young lad in Newcastle um, who was very, very big and there was a big threat about him being taken away from his single mother. Mm -hmm. um, but when you actually looked into the story, he wasn't just big in the sense of being fat, he was huge for his age. And there was clearly something very, uh, very much else going on with that child that wasn't really to do with being overfed or whatever. This had hormonal or genetic, genetic uh, uh, things that, that were just very much out of the, the, the usual. And I just think that for, for us um, sitting on the outside saying, oh, that child's too big or that child's too small or whatever, it doesn't, doesn't sort of reflect the, the fact that parents themselves, I think the vast majority of parents like you, Michelle, are, do worry about their kids getting the right food and, uh, and, and do, do, do their best. And so yeah, the, the complicated reasons why people are obese, um, I think it makes it very difficult to just kind of stand on the outside and make those kind of judgments. I think you have to be a little bit sympathetic to all the, all well, the things Well, you tell me at home, on. am I being a little bit harsh? Do I need to learn the art of being a little bit more sympathetic? Rob certainly uh, thinks so. Get in touch with me and let me know. Joining me now, uh, a lady that if you are a regular viewer of Jubes & Co, you might recognise political consultant Emma Burnell. She features regularly on Jubes & Co. Emma, good evening to you. You've spoken, haven't you, uh, to, to us here at Jubes & Co about your journey. Um, but just to kind of uh, summarise for the viewers that perhaps haven't seen you talk before, you were previously much bigger than uh, you yeah. are now. I mean, 25 stone was your weight. Am I right? That's correct, yeah. yes. 25 and a half stone. <laughs> 25 and a half stone. I mean, how, how did you reach that um, point? Um, I started putting weight on when I was in my teens, my mid-teens. Um, I think it came along with puberty and it just accelerated and accelerated and it became a vicious cycle. I was unhappy because I was fat. I ate because I was unhappy. I got fat because I ate and it just continued and continued. But once you get to that kind of point and your viewers are seeing the pictures now, um, it's very, very difficult to turn things around long term. It's very difficult to think beyond the thing that's just going to, to make some of the pain go away for just a little bit of a time. Uh, and I'm afraid quite often that is, um, for me, it was more often savoury food than sweet. It, so it would be a lot of bread, um, but, you know, chocolate too when when, when chocolate was around. Um, and eating gave me a, a brief 
emotional respite. And what do you think, um, as a society, outlooks and attitudes are when it comes to topics like obesity? I think we get it wrong from both angles, um, if I'm honest with you. Um, I would get a lot of public opprobrium for the way that I looked. Um, you know, people would stop me in the street and go, oh, you're fat. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'd never noticed. Um, but also um, the whole body positivity movement seems to be kind of pretending that being fat is in itself a healthy and happy thing. And I think that's not always true either. So I think the shaming that we get from certain commentators, from you know, lads on the bus right up to um, lads on the telly, um, is deeply unhelpful because it actually changes nobody's behaviour. Equally, I don't think saying it's not a problem is helpful because that doesn't help those of us who were desperately, desperately unhappy. And, you know, it's not like I've lost all of the weight. Um, I still got two and a half stone to lose. I'm still working on it week on week on week. Um, but I'm in a healthy cycle now, whereas I was previously in an unhealthy cycle. And it took a load of work to break that cycle. And I can tell you that shaming people is never going to help them break that cycle but neither is pretending that that cycle doesn't exist. Indeed. Uh, and you are post-surgery uh, now. I know that you're still working uh, to reduce your Absolutely. weight. I know you've got a target in mind. Uh, do you think that the diet industry, etc., cetera, uh, we're coming on to that in the next part, do you think that that's achieving what it sets out to? Is it, is it a good thing in, in this society? I think it's like a lot of things. Um, some of them are great and some of them are terrible. I have personally, um, I do Simming World. My Simming World consultant, Lisa, is an incredible woman who I really enjoy going through my journey with. Um, she is very keen for me not to give her any money. When you hit target, you go Simming World for free. So it, you know, and she wants me to not, not give her, her my money. Um, and I really, you know, we've become very bonded. There are lots and lots of things out there that I would say are the anti-leases of the world, the people who do judge you and the people who try to play on your emotions and your self-distress to try and sell you a quick fix. Um, and it's so unregulated and so badly run that when you say the diet industry, if you're um, thinking of a lot of those things, I think they are appalling. There are, on the other hand, groups that do work for people. It doesn't have to be Slimming World. It doesn't work for everybody. It work, It's working for me. Um, but I think it's about finding what works for each individual, but also I do think there is a job to be done to regulate the diet industry much better because there are way too many cowboys out there. Indeed, Emma Burnell. You know that I uh, respect your openness when it comes to this subject. Uh, thank you for your time this evening. That's Emma Burnell, a political uh, consultant and regular. So she is on Jubes and Co. <laughs>
when it comes to our obesity rates. Goodness me, my panel keeping me company tonight, Tam Fry, who's the chair of the National Obesity Forum, and Rob Lyons, who's the author of Panic on a Plate, How Society Developed an Eating Disorder. Uh, lots of you guys getting in contact now. Um, Dan says, it's not up to the state what we eat and how we exercise. We're in a free society. Um, so even if overweight people will cause uh, more health costs, it's a personal choice. There's over seven, sorry, over five million smokers in the UK, he says. And again, that's a personal choice. Judy says, I blame portion sizes. You go to any restaurant and cafe and the portion is totally huge. Um, I've got to say, Judy, I've noticed on things like crisp packets, chocolate bars, to me, they seem to be shrinking every single time I buy one. I think about things, anything. I'm thinking right now in my head of my regular chocolate of choice, which is a chunky Kit Kat. I've eaten those for quite some time. Of course, other chocolate is available. Uh, but I notice pretty much every time I seem to buy one of those, I think that they're shrinking. Either that, they're getting smaller or my mouth is getting bigger. Uh, one of the two, I'm not quite sure which one it is. Um, anyway, many of us spend nearly 20% uh, of our income on food as it stands at the moment. The food and drink industry is the UK's largest manufacturing sector. Get this, it contributes £30 billion to the economy every single year. So what do you reckon then? Should it be doing more as an industry to be part of the solution? The food are Henry Dimbleby, who's the founder of the Leon restaurant chain, certainly thinks so. He's also in favour of a sugar and uh, salt tax. Are you? Are you a favour of those kind of taxes? He says, anyway, we're programmed, uh, apparently, to seek out calorie-dense food and we eat too much of it and it's making us sick. Food companies disproportionately advertise and market that stuff to us and so there's a vicious cycle that is leading us to a very dark place. Uh, now, the government, of course, did impose a so-called sugar tax on the, on the soft drink industry in 2018. But the former health secretary, Sajid Javid, is on the record for uh, saying that people should take personal responsibility for their weight. Do you agree with him? Uh, whose responsibility is it, ultimately, for your weight? Is it your responsibility? Uh, or is it, I don't know, the government's, the fast food shop on the corner? Is it the packaging of the products that you like to eat? You tell me whose responsibility it is for your weight. We're joined now by Anthony Warner, who's known as the Angry Chef. He's written several books, including Bad Science and The Truth About Healthy Eating. Anthony, Good evening to you. Uh, you're, you're a fan of adding things to food as opposed to taking them out. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be right. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of um, making foods healthier, and I believe the best way to do that is to put good things into them rather than demonizing certain ingredients or demonizing calories or demonizing fat or demonizing sugar i think we should be sort of formulating to put 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 good things into food get more fruits and vegetables into people's diets put more fiber into into people's diets and i think that's a much better way to go about um go about reformulating and improving the way people eat rather than kind of making people scared of food i think a lot of the time we create a lot of fear about about food and eating behavior and we set people up for a really difficult um disordered relationship with food by doing that so i'd much rather encourage people to enjoy good things and and and, and, and get more healthy food into their diet than, than making them feel bad about what they are eating when it comes to obesity the measure is often uh, bmi uh, an adult's bmi do you think that's the right metric 
Um, no, I think as a measure of individual health, I think it's an absolutely terrible metric because there's so many things it doesn't take into account. It doesn't take into account differences between genders, differences between ethnic groups, um, and you know differences in, in, in the, just the size and shape of people. You know, we end up. Um, you know, I think it's a really problematic um, way of way of um, the, the relationship between health is very poor generally, and the arbitrary cutoffs which define who's overweight and who's obese, which is 25 and 30, because someone thought they were nice round numbers, um, I think uh, is, is extremely bizarre and, and, and can put people into a very difficult um, and, and, and problematic relationship with their own body when they cross these arbitrary thresholds, um, which really don't apply to everybody. So I think it's a very terrible measure for, from, uh, from an individual point of view. We really shouldn't be focusing on it at all. At a population level, it maybe has some merit to look at sort of population studies of how BMI is changing over time. But even then, there are, there are, there are changes in, in, in body shape and size because of the way we eat and the way we exercise, which aren't taken into account. And, and in, in the way the population ages. So I think we should really get away from BMI completely and, and, and focus on other areas of health because BMI is kind of related, correlated to some health sort of issues, but it's actually, you know, I think we'd be far better off if we got away from talking about BMI and looked more about, focused far more on on people's actual actual health and, and, and perhaps sort of breaking this relationship between between BMI and, and health by encouraging healthier behaviours, encouraging better diets, encouraging exercise, encouraging people to stop smoking or, or, or not to drink to excess. That would be far more um, effective in, in improving the nation's health than this focus on people's body weight and size. I think you can tell very little from walking around looking at people. Uh, and more important than that, perhaps, you know, it's very difficult if you just tell people you need to lose weight. It's very difficult to get them to do that. It's an incredibly hard thing for people to do. Fascinating stuff. Anthony Warner, thanks for your time. Rob, you were nodding away. I could see you at the corner of my eye. Why? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I've mean, i read uh, Anthony's book about um, uh, obesity and I, I, I broadly agreed with it. Um, I think, I think if, for example, if you want to look at the question of health, instead of trying to say, let's try and tackle obesity in order to, tr to tackle all the things that... Uh, are related to obesity. Why not just skip the obesity bit? As, no, you can't always do it, but and just go right. Well, how do we solve diabetes? How do we solve heart disease? How do we, yeah all these but things? I no, because I don't understand what you're saying. How can you say um, why don't we skip the obesity bit and say how do we fix diabetes? If the obesity is contributing to your likelihood of getting diabetes, why would you ignore it? Because the, the diabetes, as, as far as I understand it, is not a simple thing. It's not, it's, it's, again, it's like obesity, it's like a symptom. And there are like multiple different ways in which you could end up having type two diabetes, of which obesity may be a factor in one or, one or more of them. But it'd be much better to actually have, have a much clearer idea of what's causing the diabetes and, um, uh, and tackle that directly rather than trying to worry about too much about people's weight. For example, I mean, as Anthony Warner mentioned there, th things like ethnicity play a huge part in diabetes. Yeah, why is that? Why would that be the case? If we could understand that, we might be able to tackle the, the, the thing head on and in the in result actually deal with a lot of health problems that people are having. I'm going to be really harsh uh, and I'm sure people will tell me off but to me you I feel that you're in denial a little bit about a correlation between somebody's overweightness and potential ramifications medically of that. 
No, there, 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 there are correlations, and in some, some cases, those are causative. I mean, having lots of fat wrapped around your organs probably isn't a great thing. In other cases, they, th those correlations may be because people who are very skinny and people who are obese aren't just different in the sense that they're skinny or obese. They have completely different lifestyles, completely different attitudes to life. And that all those things are factors in, in, in why they may or may not uh, suffer disease. I mean, even things like class. I mean, let's face it, you know, it's very often the case that these things are, are, are linked to poverty or to your income or to your social status rather than you know, the size of your belly. So, so correlation, yeah, but whether they're causative or not, in some cases I think it may, that's probably true. In other cases, I think it's probably not true. Well, Keith has emailed in saying, Michelle, obesity will only increase in the future as children grow up doing nothing but playing computer games. Then they're all going to work from home. Everything they order will be brought to their houses and everything they don't want will be collected from their homes. He says they'll have no reason to get off their backsides and do anything. Uh, is that the future? You tell me what you think to that. Joining me now is Hamish Stewart, the author of Gut Feeling, Why Diets, Exercise and Fat Shaming Have Failed. Uh, good evening to you. You wrote this book, as I understand it, because you were trying to lose weight and you found apparently that these kind of diets didn't work. Is that right? That's right, yeah. I was looking for solutions for myself and I was also looking, people tried diets, it didn't work, the weight goes back on. So why, why was that? I had a certain understanding as someone who was overweight and I'm looking at it thinking, is there a book out there that, that I could read on that? And there wasn't. And part of the problem is there's an awful lot of short-termism about it because the figures are very different for people five years after they've been dieting as opposed to you know, immediately. It's easy to lose weight early on and that skews the figures. The idea that overweight people cost the NHS, the people who cost the NHS most are the healthy BMI 18 to 25 group who live long enough to get dementia and need care and Alzheimer's and all that. And there are universities that, that show that. The difference between short-term weight loss, long-term weight loss over a period of years. So I was looking at trying to find answers that would work for me in the long-term, not a short-term fix, but in the long-term. And unless you believe that millions of people suddenly got greedy overnight, then you look at obesity worldwide, every single country in the world, you rightly look at our figures in Britain, but every country in the world has growing obesity. Even countries that have famines have growing obesity issues. And you can trace that through the amount of processed food, fast food, you can see developments worldwide, and then you can start to look at how we can eat more healthily. Because you talked about diabetes just now, a lot of diabetes, the first way to treat it is to change your diet. People with a BMI of 22 have diabetes. I was higher BMI, BMI than that. I don't have diabetes. If we oversimplify it by making it about obesity, we miss the things that do work and the type of diet and the type of foods and the things you eat. They do have a positive impact on health. And that was the area I was very keen to explore. Fascinating stuff. Hamish, uh, thanks for your insight there. By the way, I see that you're in Spain. I'm very, very jealous. Enjoy, enjoy Spain. Um, Tam, were you nodding along? What did you think to what some of the things Hamish was saying there? Agree with him or not? 
Well, I, I think that we've got hung up on BMI. BMI is, I, in my view, a very essential measurement to take because it's a broad idea of the amount of weight that people are being put on. And the WHO, the World Health Organization, has, has championed BMI for years and years and years. But it's not, and uh, uh, Mr. Warren is absolutely right, it's not the perfect measurement. What I really worry about when uh, we hear Emma's story uh, and how she started putting a lot of weight going to the school is that we fail completely to monitor our children as they grow up as to whether they are putting on excess weight. Uh, that you can do with BMI in a longitudinal sense. Because if you're this this year and you put on weight next year, it'll show up on the graph that you are headed in the wrong direction. At that point, you refer them to the weight management services and you can forget all about BMI. They're in the right hand. But what, one of my viewers, and I must say I've got quite a lot of comments. I've just lost your name, so I do apologise um, that I don't have your name to hand. But someone just emailed in saying, Michelle, when you're talking about children uh, being overweight, you've got to be very careful, uh, the viewer just said, that you don't take a child that was overweight and almost... Uh, shame and vilify them to the point where then they get an eating disorder yeah. and potentially become anorexic. No, that you shouldn't do. Uh, you see, I'm an old man. I was weighed and measured every year because my parents wanted to know that I was actually growing in the right kind of channel. And it didn't bother me at all. It's rather like brushing your teeth. It's something that happens every year. You don't worry about it. The problem that we have is we do it so infrequently that it then becomes an issue. If you were to do it every year, like the, uh, the House of Commons Health Select Committee is advising, it wouldn't become an issue. Suddenly, rather, you, you stand up there, you're measured, and off it goes. And you're not measured in public, you're measured in private as well. So there's a particular way in which you were measured. But we have to do it every year in order to trap people like Emma from escalating from probably a little overweight to 25 yeah, pounds stone. Yeah, I'm going to get to a break in a second. Um, but Emma's story, in case you just tuned in, I was just uh, talking to Emma Bernal, her weight went up to 25 and a bit stone, and she had to have uh, gastric surgery. She was saying, Emma was saying, that she uh, separated with her husband and tend to comfort eating. So you could have done all the tracking in the world to a child if when they then get into adulthood, they have a trauma and then they respond to that trauma with food, then all your tracking's not really going to help. But at least you've got to start to teach children at a very early age, and, and two is the, is the right age, and I would advise you that the, you're on the right lines. You start to, to teach them the kind of food that they should be eating. The, the, to put on one side the ultra-processed food, which uh, uh, we've been talking about, and eat healthily. If they get that message and they exercise at the same time, that will continue. Yeah. Um, I've got to say that as a mum of a two-year-old, uh, it is quite difficult. I mean, kids, they want the rustle of a snack packet, don't they? Um, if I said to my child, well, you know, there's a, a broccoli stem or a, a packet of whatever, he's going to snatch my right arm off for the packet of whatever. Um, so it is quite tricky. So I don't mean to, if any parents are watching this saying, oh, you know, she's patronising me, trust me, I know that it can be difficult. I don't doubt that for a second. Hello there, uh, Michelle Dubery. We are having a special um, on fixing the nation when it comes to obesity, keeping me company until 7 o'clock tonight. My panel is Tam Fry, the chair of the National Obesity Forum, and Rob Lyons, who's the author of Panic on a Play, How Society Develops an Eating Disorder. Coming up at 7 o'clock, we've got Friday Night Feast with Josh Howie. Josh, good evening. What have you got for us? 
Good evening. Well, my show kind of dovetails nicely into yours. We're going to be talking to Mr. Motivator, the man oh. himself, the legend. Uh, we've got Peter Shilton, his wife, Steph. They're going to be discussing whether marriage is old-fashioned. Uh, my challenge this week is to drive a penny farthing. And there's a whole load of other things. There's going to be a dog that we're desperate to get rid of, but probably will stay where it is. Uh, it's going to get messy. Tune in, see if I still have a job in two hours' time. <laughs> Oh, I hope you will still have a job. I hope I do see you uh, this time next week. Uh, but look forward to that. We'll see you at 7 o'clock. Right, you know, we're talking about weight, aren't we? Uh, lots of you guys have been in touch tonight. A variety of mixed opinions from you guys tonight, I've got to say. Uh, who's this that's just emailed me in saying that I should get off my high horse, stop lecturing people? I'm frantically uh, trying to find your name and I've lost it. But you emailed in. Oh, Joe, there you go. Michelle, get off your high horse. You're beginning to sound like a Socialists banging on every day, telling people how to live their lives, says Joe. Well, that's me told. Uh, but actually, Joe, I do worry uh, that this country is the second uh, most, most obese in Europe. Uh, and I worry particularly when it comes to children. So no, actually, uh, I won't stop having this conversation. You've got it at least for another 10 minutes, I think is a very important topic. Um, we've been looking at some of the causes, we've recapped on where we are, but Rob, what are the solutions? With another Prime Minister coming in September the 5th, what should they be doing, if anything, about this? Well, I think Anthony Warland was quite right about not freaking out about BMI and not assuming that somebody who's got a BMI over 30 is ill. I mean, some people are saying obesity you know, is a diseased state, and I don't think that that's true. And I do think that we should focus more on those people like Emma who've got a really serious issue that's getting in the way of, of their lives. The second thing we have to recognise, as Hamish Stewart was, was pointing out, is that, that dieting is really difficult and actually usually fairly unsuccessful. You can change your weight a bit, but actually changing your weight significantly simply through diet and exercise is a real effort. As Giles Yeo, the geneticist, uh, says, you know, you're fighting against your biology when you do that kind of thing. Um, so we, and that's why I think that, that the kind of government interventions that keep to, being talked about and keep failing are just not going to help at all, really, because you have to make a very personal choice for your health or whatever, or for vanity or whatever it is, to... to to make that commitment to losing weight. And I don't think anything that the government's doing, whether it's buying, banning buy one, get one freeze or putting a tax on, on sugary drinks or anything like that, is, is, is really going to touch the size. It, but it is going to interfere more and more in our choices about what we eat and how we live. Uh, Jean's been in touch saying there's not enough sport, etc. at school. Uh, children barely play out now. Um, she says that that is one of the contributing factors and says the government should try more to regulate food advertising. Many foods keep being advertised as healthy, uh, such as things like some cereals, when they are not. Uh, Tam, what do you reckon the new Prime Minister should be doing when they come in on this issue? Well, the first thing they should be doing is to do something sensible about the quality of food that we have. We have such a lot of food which is less than healthy. So that is a responsibility of the government, not through the individual, but certainly to the food industry, to say, clean up your act. Now, you've been talking about sugar tax with sugary drinks industry levy. 
that should be pursued. And particularly Henry Dimbleby, you mentioned, uh, has a very clear idea as to what should be done. Um, we've got to take the sugar out, we've got to take the sat fat out, we've got to take the salt out of food, so that if you do happen to put your hand on a snack, it's going to be as healthy as possible, rather than crammed with those three ingredients, which are so injurious to health. So certainly the food industry has got to be um, uh, marshalled. We had a terrible time about 10 years ago when the Conservative government brought in a thing called the Responsibility Deal. And they, the, the, the Conservatives thought, OK, we'll be nice to industry and they'll do what we want. Doesn't happen. The food industry has got to be legislated against to produce food, which is whatever, wherever you get it, is the best which is available for the health. Uh, and what do you think to... Um if I was going to be Prime Minister, luckily, I say this often on this show, luckily for everyone, quite frankly, I'm not. Uh, so the nation has got off lightly there. But if I was uh, going to be Prime Minister, one of the things that I would look at is a complete overhaul when it comes to what is allowed on high streets. Because sometimes when I wander um, along high streets, I'm actually pretty blown away, quite frankly, how many uh, chicken shops, kebab shops... Uh, Chinese takeaways, Indian takeaways, uh, there are on one stretch of streets. But I'm so, sorry, Michelle, if you were to do that, there would be real problems because there are why? so many people who depend on these chicken shops and takeaways actually to live. They can't cook their own food. Therefore, the food has to be made for them. What do you mean they can't cook their own food? There are, we, we gave up domestic science. We gave up uh, um, whatever it was called in school. Don't, Tom, don't wash with me. There's a product, a tool called Google. Everyone can get on Google. Yeah. So how can anyone tell me they can't cook? I could put into Google right now, or live on air if I chose to, how do I make beans on toast? Yep. And I suspect, I've never Googled it, but I suspect I'd be told the answer. So this whole I can't cook thing, don't wash with me, I'm afraid. That's fine. Uh, you have your opinion. As far as I'm concerned, is that people are too lazy to even Google. Ooh. Much easier to pick up the telephone. You're harsher than me. Pardon me? You're harsher than what I am. So you're, you're saying often it can be a laziness thing. Yep. Ooh, what do you think to that, ladies and gentlemen? Do you think laziness is playing an poor, issue? One of the two. Well, well, convenience, but what's wrong with convenience? If you can get, like, a, a good meal conveniently, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that, except that it's being overdone. What we have now is convenience food several times a day. And that is what the problem is, because the convenience food is the cheap and cheerful food which people have and they consume in excess. Well, I'm not sure. It's, well, I, I think that maybe the cost of living crisis will, will, will demonstrate that it's probably not actually that cheap and cheerful. I'm amazed at the price of takeaways these days. Um, I think that people will be eating fewer of them simply because they're becoming unaffordable. Well, Phil has said the trouble is the younger generation don't cook uh, much more now. They live on takeaways. In fact, in the near future, if they lose the apps on their phone, uh, he says that they would probably starve. But I think, actually, you've got no excuse to not know how to cook in this day and age. Yes, but if um, you follow Henry Dimbleby, he's saying that all children from the age of five should be taught to cook. Now, that was scrubbed from the system. 
if we had education coming back and children was taught to cook, we wouldn't have the problem because they would actually like what they're but, cooking. But, but kid, you know, kids in my, my... Well, first of all, it was only 50% of, of my school year that ever learned to cook because it was only the girls that ever got taught anything. And secondly, I didn't get, get taught how to cook. I learned for myself when it became a necessity to survive. And I think that that's the reality for most people. And we're surrounded by resources for how to cook. If people choose not to cook, it's because they enjoy the convenience of not having to cook. And, you know, that's entirely up to them and that should be their choice. Morag says, uh, Michelle, not everybody has access to the internet. Oh, come on, Morag. Um, there are places now, if you don't have internet at home, if you don't have devices at home, there are surely uh, places where people can get online. But uh, tell me, I was just about to say, tell me uh, if you uh, can get online or not. But if you're not online, you probably won't be able to get in touch with me. So that was a silly point I just made there. Uh, many people, I have to say, there's split here. Um, some people do actually want the government to do more. Um, who's this? Janet says, I've got no problem with obesity. I've been seven stone for over 50 years now. Well, Janet, uh, that is very good for you. Uh, unfortunately, though, a lot of people do struggle with their weight, which is why we've been focusing on this tonight. Uh, anyway, that's all we've got time for. Thank you to my panel for your time. Thank you at home as well for your company. Uh, do let me know your thoughts. I do read your emails uh, when I go home. Uh, Gareth has been in touch saying, Michelle, looking at your hair tonight, I think you need to radically overhaul your own diet, he says. He thinks I'm lacking on protein. What I say to you, Gareth, is you don't know girls very well because when it gets to a Friday, most girls have in 95% dry shampoo. Anyway, that's all I've got time for. Have a good weekend. I'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening to Jubes and Cur, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you will never miss an episode. And if you've enjoyed it, leave us a nice comment. I'll see you next time. <laughs>